We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Remember uh, last time that we began to look at a couple of verses that I'll just review with you in Proverbs uh, 4.23 and then also in Mark 7.21, among others. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over the stuff we went over last time. Um, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. As some have said, as, as a man is in his heart or as he thinks, he is that way. Um, or modern in a modern way, people talk about um, you know, actions developing into habits and habits into character, and, and character is what the man is, what the person is. Um, we have a similar uh, thought here given to us by the Lord in Mark chapter 7. In verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So, uh, what we said is that we have to focus on the heart, the matters of the heart, when we're talking uh, about child raising about, uh, in fact, in any case, it's just true across the board. You have to, uh, to inform and pray for change in the heart of a young person or any person that needs change. Uh, and, and the things that come out of them, by the way, just, re, just rehearse this in your mind. When things come out of you, just know that they were in you. Okay, Speech that comes out came from within. Don't just say, Oh, that wasn't me. Well, it was, it was the, the uh, it was the bad version of you, shall we say? You know, the the Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde uh, switcheroo into the bad side, uh, as it were, and it's there. And so it is out of your heart, not out of somebody else's heart, not out of somebody else's imagination. Of course, there are as 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 the book we, I'm looking at here talks about in the second chapter. There are shaping influences that uh, touch that, and those can input things in. And I had a question last week uh, at the end of the message: How do we address the heart? How do we how do we talk to the heart, so to speak? If if it's the if it's the issue, then what do we do about it? And we were trying to say last time that merely dealing with, say, behavior, which is a default position in terms of working with children. If we merely address behavior, we're not really addressing the main issue. We're not addressing the underlying issue, the, the issue of the heart. And so if you have somebody who has you know, very fine etiquette and says please and thank you without having the gratitude in their heart, what does that make them? What's that? 
It doesn't, it doesn't really change anything. It makes them a hypocrite. It makes them a whitewashed tomb, you know, with deadness on the inside and bad things on the outside. So uh, that's not to say, not to say that we don't teach our children to say thank you and please and all of that, but that's uh, veneer on something uh, far deeper that needs to be addressed. So I, I was thinking about that question, how do we address a child's heart? And I thought, first of all, I would say this, if what comes, if the, if the kind of window on the heart is, say, the speech or actions, but let's just focus on speech for a moment. If that's the window on the heart, then and that's what the heart brings out then do you suppose that you can get back in there with speech? <clears throat> now that's going to be actually coming through the listening gate, but I just had a thought. If it's communication that shows what's in the heart, it's sharing what's in there, then what about communication to come back into the heart? I, and, I mean, there's, there's, there doesn't seem to be another great answer uh, to kind of reverse the process and get back into the heart, but I thought just to kind of flesh that out a little bit, we can get in to the heart with words and with actions. Okay, We can get into the heart with teaching and examples. Okay, We can get into a child's heart by how we uh, set and express the worldview of our home and family, and we can uh, set the environment in the home. Uh, I'm just thinking of one example. If you uh, sense that things are a little too uh, noisy, say, for example, or raucous, you can say, look, we're going to settle things down. I know you've said that before if you're a parent, right? <laughs> we're going to just cool it for a minute. We're going to sit down and we're going to take a breath. Or, but there's other, there's other ways in which you can do that. That's just kind of, a, you know, when you have a house full of small kids running around like crazy and making all kinds of noise. But what if your house is a little too busy and raucous in other ways? Too much activity, too much hither and yon, too much of this and too much of that. Well, you might say, we're going to set, I, I am going to set the environment just down a notch or two and simplify this because it's too much. Our worldview is that, Busyness does not equal godliness. <laughs> Busyness is not necessarily what God wants us to do. Um, how to get in, not, with, not only words or actions, examples, teaching, worldview, how you set the environment in the home, but your family worship and your family activities. Um, what sorts of things do you choose to do with your family? or with yourself, you know, if you're trying to cultivate a godly heart, what kind of activities do you choose to do? You know, do you go on uh, vacation because that's what pleases you? Or do you ever do things that are uh, helpful for the souls of your children, educational, you know, um, do things, uh, go to church when you're on vacation, go to uh, a ministry like uh, Answers in Genesis and see that as a vacation, that kind of thing. Um, you can use all kinds of things to get into your child's heart. In um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you recall what Moses instructs the people of Israel. You know, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all that stuff. And then he says, you know, you teach your children these precepts, these commandments, when? 
all the time. Sitting, rising, going, coming, lying down, getting up. I mean, he doesn't say, you know, but he gives enough examples to say this is a comprehensive task that we have all the time. Do you suppose that the world is taking a vacation from teaching its worldview to people? Haha. <laughs> yeah, right. In school and media and all of that? Not exactly. So we have to take every opportunity over the limited span of time that we have with our children or with whoever uh, is uh, in our, you know, that we're working with, so to speak. Um, Let's see, what else? So uh, perhaps we have been doing things with raising our children that are a little bit more uh, ad hoc, I call it, or do you know what that means, like on the fly, like made up at the moment, you know, just like because you're quick on your feet and you can handle doing that instead of working with our kids in a more explicitly biblical approach to things. So I'm going to, I want to share besides that business about, you know, how do we get into the children's heart and our hearts for that matter. I wanted to talk about two other things this morning in the time that we have. One is the functions of the heart and I was helped by this, by one of our missionaries, in fact, and, uh, about this. And then the other was our ultimate goal in raising children. So let's, let me start with the functions of the heart. I just jotted down some notes uh, from a conversation that I had with Mariano uh, over, I don't know which was, it was earlier Friday morning, in fact, um, that we had set a time. And I just asked him that question that was asked to me, and uh, he started talking about this material, which was helpful in a way. It didn't directly answer the question that I asked, but it did directly answer a need that we have to think about. So when you think of the heart of a person, the heart of a child, don't think of the, uh, you know, um, what, the, ana- the anatomy class and the pump the four-chambered pump with all the plumbing that goes therein. But think of it as the control center or as the operations center of the person, okay? So get to the heart of the matter, we say. We use the same kind of um, metaphor when we're talking about what's at the core, what's the engine of this little, you know, precious little bundle that's been handed to you at the hospital. Uh, You know, what's in the core of that? What's in the core of the person, the heart? And what does the heart have in it, or how how can we describe it? Let me give you three words, and then we'll describe those words. One part of the heart of a person is their cognition, their cognition. The second part is their affection, and the third is their volition, okay? Okay. Now, these, what basically this is actually doing is breaking down the heart in terms of how we understand anthropology. That is, how is man made up? When you go, if we were to do this in systematic theology, you know, I'd have an outline and I'd have, you know, heart and a definition and broken down into these different components. Or I might say the, the, uh, the, the constitution of man or what is a person? Maybe I'll say it that way. What, what is a person or personality? Well, a person is... Someone with uh, intellect, cognition, emotion, affection, and will, volition, okay? 
God is a person that way. I'm not saying a hum, human person, but he's a person, intellect, emotion, will. Angels have intellect, emotion, will. Good angels and bad angels. Humans have intellect, emotion, and will also. But in terms of the heart, if you were to just picture a heart and then picture cognition in one quadrant and, and uh, affections in the other and, and will in the bottom, and then arrows between all three of those. That's how my diagram is on my page. I should have made something to show you there. Can you imagine that picture in your, in your heart? <laughs> Cognition, affection, and will, and there's arrows between all. They all interact with one another, okay? So in the cognition, what does the cognition have to do with? Well, to, to cognate <laughs> something, that's not really a, a good word, but to think. It means to, it talks about your beliefs, how you reason, uh, talks about memory, remembrance, how you interpret things, things that you place value on. Then in terms of the will, what is the will? I like to call sometimes the will the decider. It's how you decide to be. It's how you decide to act. It's how you decide to prioritize. It's your desires. Uh, it could be uh, your pretend. It could be you are committing to something. You know, you're, you, uh, you appreciate, so you act out something. Uh, actually, appreciate comes under the next heading. Affection. So the affection is, has to do with emotions, right? Your, your um, hopes, your feelings, uh, what you like, what you appreciate. Okay, so you have all of these things. I know it's hard to keep them all in mind at once. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Think, feel, and decide. Yep. Mankind is uniquely created with those things interacting with one another in our control center. Okay? The control center, by the way. So what is a... Imagine a control center. Have you ever been in a... Um, or seen maybe a movie or something that depicts the control center for a nuclear power plant? You know, the walls of computers and buttons and switches and knobs and dials and all of that sort of stuff. That's where they control everything. All the sensory inputs come in, all the warnings come in, all the controls to run these valves and turn this on and lower these rods and do this and all that stuff, the control center. And all of that stuff is interacting, the cognition, the affections, the will, the thinking, the believing, the reasoning, the remembering in the heart. Now, the bad news is, what does the Bible say about the heart? Yeah. So if the heart, this is Jeremiah 17, 9, if the heart is, as God says, desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Now, I haven't put deceit in here, but it's operating. If that's true, and it is true, and no one can know it, but God, of course, has described it for us. But to, to get into it, I mean, I'll say this morning later in my message, there's a subtlety to pride and deceit that happens in our hearts. And it operates unknown, how can I say it? Unknown, unawares in the life of a child who's not yet a believer because they don't understand what's, what's going on in their heart. So you have all of that. So just think about that. The heart is wicked in all of the capacities that we've listed. Reasoning, 
emotions, feelings, hopes, desires, pretend, remembering, thinking, deciding, believing, knowing, interpreting. In every one of those ways, the heart is depicted by God, known by God, rather, to be desperately wicked. That's what we call depravity. And it's total depravity. It's not a part of the heart. You can't say, well, here's the heart, here's the affection, here's the cognition, here's the will. Yeah, the sin has affected you know, items one and three, but not the cognition. No, it has. The mind of the unbeliever is, as Paul says, darkened. Okay? Sin has impacted all of that. And if it sounds like it's a hopeless situation, well, it's because it is, right? It's without God, it is a hopeless situation. So if you have a Christian view of what people are like, you will be far better able to help them than if you don't have a Christian view. Does the world think the heart is desperately wicked? No, it thinks if you educate just the right way, you have a good person at base, and you can just build on that and bring the person up to, you know, up to snuff, so to speak. No, that's not the case. So if you start from a flawed foundation, then you're not going to have... Everything's going to go wrong, the fruit of the poison vine, right? It's just all, it's all wrong. It's in the wrong direction. So you have to start with this understanding and uh, be objective about it and understand, look, this is the kind of person that I was and am and the kind of person that my children are, and if I'm to work with them, I have to speak to them on these, on these levels in terms of their control center. Okay? So those are the functions of the heart, and we set that as the baseline of our theology to help us to work with our youngsters. Now we go on then to the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal. If you were to follow along and read Tripp's book on shepherding a child's heart, or you have, then this would be in chapter 5. I'm, I'm purposefully just treating that today and skipping over some of the other stuff in 2, 3, and 4. We'll come back and look at that in more detail. One second. <clears throat> so this might be, um, this might, this next section might provide a little shock value to you. If you read it and you don't read to the end, you can get frustrated because you think, man, all these, all these uh, goals that um, we might have for our children, many of them seem very good. In fact, super good, some of them, or at least one of them. So let's go through what, first of all, people have practically as their goals for their kids. Now, when I say this, he didn't have this in the, in the text, but I wanted to mention or speak of it like this in this way. When we talk about the goal that we should have for our children and the goals that we do have for our children, I want you to think of it in terms of how you would state the right answer for what the right goal is for your child. And then I want you to think, what is the actual goal 
or goals that you have for your child. Okay? What I'm saying is, I don't want to know really what your Sunday school correct answer is to fill in the blank as to what the right goal is. I want you to answer the question in your mind, what actually are the goals that I am having, that I implicitly have, that I share with my children, that I push them toward, uh, that I think about in actuality and see if, the, if they match what they should be, okay? What the, what the ultimate goal of raising a, a youngster is. Um, and this relates to what you view as success for your child. What did you view as success for your child, or what do you view as success for your child? And, and uh, again, in a way, it's kind of, this is helpful because we're speaking about parents raising children, but this can also apply to you, and you can apply these things to your own thoughts and heart. So uh, how is success defined? Well, that's the whole rub, isn't it? Because the world defines it in several different ways. Um, we might have goals for our children that uh, involve our kids to develop special skills. Uh, special skills, maybe academically, special skills, um, vocationally, special skills uh, in sports, and that sort of thing. Are, is that where you are in terms of wanting your children to achieve success. There are others that don't worry so much about the special skills, but they really are concerned about having their children be well-adjusted psychologically so that they can interact with other people, they have good social skills, uh, they're you know, not, um, oh, I don't know, ADHD or whatever. You know, they're, they're just, they kind of fit in, they go with the flow, they don't cause problems. They're well-adjusted psychologically. Um, some you know, of us have a goal, which is good as far as it goes, and that is that we would see our children make a profession of salvation. But is that the ultimate goal? And this is where you might feel some pushback. And uh, as I thought about it, I thought, well, this is quite interesting because that's not the ultimate goal. Uh, you know, because sometimes what happens is a parent gets any profession of faith, credible or incredible, credible or not credible, but as long as they have one, they feel they've achieved their goal. Okay, that's done, good. No, that's not it. Some focus on family worship and prayer together. That's their goal. If they, if they, have, they have that every day, you know, if we pray together, we stay together. If we worship together, then everything's going to be all right. We'll have that goal. Some have the goal of simply good behavior. And that can be, this is where, this is where it kind of hurts because it gets into our hearts as parents and we, we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, do I want good behavior from my kids because it doesn't, because if they do that, then I don't get embarrassed in public or uh, they fit in well with the rest of the, the gang, or because it makes my life easier at home because they're under control. 
Now notice those goals had not God in the center of them. See that? Who was at the center of them? The child or yourself. This makes it easier for me. They just toe the line. It's not that good behavior is bad, but as an ultimate goal, it's not sufficient. Okay? And it could, be, it could be a mask on just pride and selfishness and uh, kind of a shame, honor kind of uh, focus with regard to other people. Some have a goal for their children of good education. You just get them a good school, get into good school, get them a scholarship, get them to college, then whew, we've done it, you know. Others have as less, um, what's the word? And these, these are things that uh, Tripp mentions. Others have goals that are not as good. They're just like, I want to just control the situation. I want to control these kids, get them till they're 18, and get them out of here. <laughs> so those could be... Uh, those goals could be driven by a certain view of what success is. So one way to test yourself is to say, uh, if you have a child named uh, Lucy, we don't have any kids in this church named Lucy, do we? Okay, so I'm safe. Uh, if you have a child named Lucy, just ask yourself, what would Lucy say if she were posed this question? What mom and dad want most for me is fill in the blank. What mom and dad want most for me is, okay, so fill in that blank as they would answer it. Not as you know the pastor teaching the Sunday school class wants you to answer it, but how would they answer it? That's a searching question, isn't it? Very searching question. Maybe I could make it generally more generally applicable and ask you, if you'd be honest with yourself, like little Lucy, what is it that you would say you want for yourself the most? What is it that you want for yourself the most? Uh, the, the influence of culture is... is um, uh, can I say? Pervasive. Thank you very much. In fact, that's the word I had in my notes. How did you know? <laughs> I had trouble thinking of it yesterday when I was jotting these notes down, too. Um, it's pervasive. It's, it's, it's pandemic. It's, uh, you know, that's putting a real bad spin on it. It's bad. It's everywhere. Um, what did God teach us in Romans 12, 1 and 2? Do not be conformed to this world. And these kinds of things that we've just gone over are they're important for us to think about because they touch on what the culture is trying to push us into doing with our children and with ourselves. Okay? The culture says good education, good behavior, training the children uh, to develop special skills, whatever sort those are, uh, to be well-adjusted psychologically, and certainly that's not to be a Christian because Christians are the source of all the world's problems, uh, you know, divisiveness and 
lack of inclusivity and all of that sort of thing, they might say. The world is pressing a mold on it. The world, I didn't even say, you know, success might be having things. I mean, that's crass, but that's a reality. You know, I want my kids to have the American dream. I want them to have a better life than what I had. Every parent wants that, they say. You hear that? You've heard that a hundred times if you've heard it once in the, in the media, right? Every parent wants to have their, their children have a better life than they had. How so? Better health, better uh, car, better economics, better job, better training, whatever. That's the goal. So the world is pressing us into that goal. Where is God in all of that? Remember in the Old Testament, on numerous occasions, what God said to the nation of Israel regarding their connection with the nations around them and the nations that were within their territory. Uh, in Deuteronomy 12, it says, You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, and you shall destroy their altars break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Later on in chapter 12 of Deuteronomy, it says in verse 30, Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from among you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did their, these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. Doesn't that seem to apply? How does the world do things? And you say, well, they don't have idolatry. I don't see them bowing down to a bunch of statues. What's wrong with that statement? Statues aren't the only kind of idolatry that there is, right? Idols of the heart. There I am pointing to the muscle. The control center has idols, it has priorities, it has things that it's placed above God in the world. And materialism, for instance, secular humanism, all those isms and, and things are there and are the things that replace the true God of the Bible in the world's vision and priorities. I also will do likewise. Why? Why do we feel such an urge to do likewise um, in that same way? 2 Kings 17 is always a portion that you can go to to kind of get a summary of why God punished the northern kingdom of Israel for their iniquities, why he carried them off to Assyria, 2 Kings 17, verse 13 Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their neck like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers, and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. See, there it is again, not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. 
And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. And Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. So we have that summary of what the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, did. Okay, so all of those are those goals are goals that the world might try to conform us into, save for the one that had to do with salvation. But even that is not the ultimate end. The ultimate end is given in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, you do all to the glory of God. So we're out of time, but think about that goal this week. My goal is not special skills, education, uh, psychological adjustment, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. It's even not for them to make a profession of faith. It is for them to glorify God, my children to glorify God in their life. Now, of course, they have to believe in him to really glorify him. And they will do other things as well, subservient to that. But does their good education, for instance, that we focused on, does that serve the purpose of glorifying God? Or how can it be used to serve the purpose of glorifying God? Or does it just serve its own little department in our life? See the difference? When you have it, that goal separate from the chief end of man is the Catechism says, to glorify God, enjoy Him forever. When you separate those two things and they're not connected, then you have, a, you have a problem. So I encourage you to think these next days, how can we connect the biblical goal of honoring God above all things? Our children, we want them to honor God as well. How can we connect that to the other things that we're doing? And if there is no real connection, or we've founded our goals and measure of success wrongly, then we need to refigure that, remove some things, add some things, change some things, and, and figure out better how to run our, our, our homes. Okay? So again, we've looked at the kind of unbiblical goals and the biblical goal for a child. We've looked at functions of the heart, and we've thought this morning about how do we address the heart of a child? What kind of means or mechanism is there, is there for that? So Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to study together, talk about these matters, and think about them. I pray that it's been helpful to us, challenging, certainly searching, perhaps difficult, convicting. Lord, we pray that whatever change might be necessary, we might make, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.